0: Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am not a doctor. Before beginning an intermittent fasting protocol or making changes to your medication, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining today. Today we have on Netta Gorman, and Netta has been on the show. It'll be linked in the show notes. Her prior appearance on this podcast, which was in May 2022, Netta is the host of the Life After Sugar podcast. She can also be found in a variety of other places. Everything will be linked in the show notes. Netta is really one of the authorities on quitting or limiting sugar in your diet. And I wanted to speak to her again because as you know, I have eliminated sugar from my diet and artificial sweeteners. And it's a topic that is very important to me and I am just noticing some of the things that I go through on my own personal journey. And I wanted to discuss those things with her. Certain topics that we discuss include cravings, what happens when you eat sugar after you haven't had sugar for a long time, how hard is it to give up sugar after you have given up sugar previously and then maybe went back on sugar and are trying to do this whole thing again. She really, we get into the weeds on a lot of different topics. We talk about emotional eating and to reward yourself if you are no longer rewarding yourself with things like sugar, foods that may trigger hunger. We go into a lot of very interesting topics and I think you're really going to get a lot out of this episode. I know that I learned a lot from speaking with Netta as I always do. So I hope you enjoy. Hi Netta. thank you so much for joining me again. It's so good to see you.
1: You're so welcome. Thank you for having me back.
0: Yeah, your podcast is just life after sugar has just been thriving and you've been doing so much good work um related to getting people to reduce or to you know quit sugar whichever th- they're interested in so thank you for all the work you've been doing i find it tremendously helpful uh thank you same here for yours thank you well i wanted to have you back on you were on uh in may 2022 so it's been a little over a year and uh i've been doing a lot with this podcast about you know, taking things out of your diet, such as sugar, artificial sweeteners, carbs. A lot of people that have diabetes uh, that also intermittent fast, taking these things out of their diet is very helpful in normalizing blood sugars. And it just, honestly, I think it helps you when you are trying to fast to eliminate these things from your diet. And I, I did a, an episode about myself about how I quit sugar. It's funny because I went on your podcast and I quit sugar, and then slowly and I want to talk to you about this started to creep back in with like protein bars and then extremely dark chocolate and then less dark chocolate and it's just there's a slippery slope before I get started about all that stuff I mean have you have you you, you've worked with so many people trying to, to quit sugar have you seen that happen a lot where people kind of stop and then they sort of reintegrate yes
1: yes it happens more than you would imagine so You know, you're in a big group of people for whom usually it's when life happens, then they end up down that slippery slope. It's like they tell me it was going great. And then insert, you know, life event happening, you know, with which I'm very sensitive to, to the, you know, life happens. Right. And I often say real life happens whether or not you're eating sugar right so and it's not so much trying to get away from any kind of stressful life occurrence it's it's learning automatic coping skills that are not to do with sugar that's that's the challenge
0: right right yeah I mean that's that's important that's a takeaway that I'm learning this time around (laughs) I think the last time it was a little bit uh I was kind of strong arming it a little bit uh and I just was like I'm gonna do this I'm quitting no matter what and this time I'm more sensitive to the emotional reasons behind it so that I don't backslide and, and get into it again. And also I think this time, and I want you to speak to this too, about your feelings of abstinence from sugar versus people that can eat it occasionally. How many the people that, that are in your community, do you see people that are able to eat it occasionally or do most people just abstain?
1: Now, I have all across the board from moderators all the way to complete abstainers. And and by abstainers, I mean, you know, abstaining not just from sugar, not just from processed sugar, but also processed grains, often in the form of flour um, or basically all processed foods. Let's face it. Um, And some people have to abstain also from dairy. I have one lady who is a moderator, but she has to abstain from Animal products, not because she wants to, but because in her body they lead to inflammation, and so it's really across the board. and And it's so eye opening to see that we're all bio individual individuals, and we're all different. And you can't sort of have a one size fits all approach of okay, everybody do this, don't eat that, do eat that. You just can't. Right. Yeah, I
0: think that's true, and I think. I have miscategorized myself as a moderator. (laughs) And I think that I am not.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that is also more common than you would imagine. It's actually the most common thing I see is people who self identify as a moderator. It's sort of like, they wish (laughs) they were moderators. And then they find out that, oh, no, I'm actually, it's better for me to be an abstainer, because not because moderators aren't good enough, or moderation is not possible it definitely is possible for lots of people but it's really a question of of being honest with yourself you know and we would like to be moderators because we get this message right from nutritionists and dietitians and society in general we get this message that everything in moderation is the healthy way to go right and so we we would like it to be true because the people in white coats say it's true. Right. <laughs> the professionals have told us that it's true. And it takes a while for us to realize some of us who are not moderators, that no, actually we feel much happier as abstainers.
0: Have you ever tried to, I mean, I know that you you haven't, you've been off sugar since for like eight years. Is that right? Seven, eight years? We're yeah,
1: coming up to eight years uh, this month. Yes. Okay
0: and have you ever tried it the the moderate moderator way
1: <laughs> no i was like i the thing i think that saved me but i didn't know it would save me <laughs> right from the beginning is that i for just a temporary period just for 2 weeks i cut out all sweet tasting foods and all starchy foods and it it i fought against it for the longest time because you know, even saying it now, it feels like it's so extreme. It's so, it's like what's left to eat, right? But um, that saved me. I think it saved me because my uh, taste buds got used to other tastes than sweetness really fast. It allowed them to get used to other tastes really fast because I wasn't feeding Not only was I not feeding my taste buds sweetness, I also wasn't feeding my brain, not not just my physical brain, but my mindset wasn't getting fed this. Well, how about this? And what about fruit? And what about the the," you were saying, you know, the the bars and the this and the that and the honey? And there was no type of moderation during those two weeks because I decided I'm all in. And there was no negotiation. It was very peaceful.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess for you, you had a special situation and for people that are interested in your story, they can listen back to the May episode, which I'll link up in the show notes, but basically you were doing a, an elimination diet, right? Because you were, you had a health issue and okay.
1: And my digestion.
0: Right. So you, you cut out sugar for that two week period thinking it was only going to be two weeks. Right. And so, I mean, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily go about it that way. How, when you have people that are joining your um, after sugar club or things like that, how do you uh, recommend that people kind of get started with, with quitting sugar?
1: Well, the first thing that I like to ask people to do, and this is more in my program than in because the After Sugar Club is more self-study, but when I get them into my program, um, I get them first of all to identify what is food <laughs> because um, before you even make some kind of first step in, in the changes that you make, um, rather than sort of you know going headlong into, okay, cut this, cut that. I would like to get people to recognize what is food, what is the difference between whole foods and processed foods? And some processed foods are fine in the sense that, you know, I teach how to make fermented foods and drinks, and they have been processed by good bacteria to, you know, like, for example, milk or cream into yogurt or kefir. And so just those terms, processed or unprocessed whole foods, I, you know, I like to start right there. And then, you know, with um, a grocery list as well and reading labels so that we, we, end up being smarter consumers more informed consumers before we decide how to go about it and the other thing that I like to ask people to do right from the beginning is to determine in their life in general and not just for sugar or food are they more of a moderator or more of an abstainer starting out and that can change as we talked about just before you may identify right from the get-go as a moderator but it may be wishful thinking (laughs) and you may end up realizing i'm more of an abstainer or more of an abstainer for these types of foods but i can moderate these types of foods you know so that's how i like to start off rather than saying do it like i did which i never actually say or do it this way
0: so without putting you on the spot too much and without having to crunch numbers or anything like that in your group, your the people that you work with, what percent of people with respect to sugar, or not any other foods would you say are moderators versus abstainers?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, yeah. And don't quote me on these stats there off the top of my head, but I would say, I would say about 75% of people need to be abstainers. And about 25 can allow themselves to be moderators. And I didn't say are abstainers or are moderators, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. Scale. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I uh, I would agree with that. I was thinking about that same number in my head. And actually, I think uh, at different points in your life, you might be able to do do things differently. Now, I feel like I am more I. I transitioned over to needing to be more of an abstainer than a moderator I think when I was younger somehow I could be better at moderating and I just feel like as I get older I I can't
1: (laughs) yeah it's very possible and at some point and it's different for each person but for myself being I don't even consider that I'm an abstainer anymore because it's that sort of concept of being an abstainer starts from the premise of you know everything in moderation and you, you know from a whole range of foods and now I just I'm not abstaining from anything if I'm only abstaining from feeling awful
0: yeah it's good when you phrase when you put it in that kind of context because then it, it doesn't feel like you're there's so much deprivation associated with it
1: exactly in fact I don't feel deprived at all and I'm quite happy to say that I eat everything I want to eat right? I, I have just changed what I want to eat, because I only want to eat things that make me feel good these days. And right. by these days, I mean, for the last eight years.
0: Right. And I remember, you know, you were talking about, and I went through this too, when um, you were in that two-week elimination diet, and the first few days you felt like kind of like garbage without having all of these yeah. things in your life are, do you hear that from a lot of people that you work with that they feel pretty bad those first few days or
1: yes. a few weeks? yes it's uh, it doesn't happen to any to everyone uh those of those people who don't have this what they call detox symptoms i you know i, <laughs> I envy them a lot <laughs> and good for them but most of us uh, and this is just a bi- kind of a biological uh, fact for most bodies that are used to running on high levels of glucose and fast acting glucose and lots of insulin being produced lots of times per day. A lot of us, our bodies kind of crash when we don't have that influx of glucose that we're used to. But I mean, for me, it, it lasted two days, maybe three. Um, And you know, when you spread that over eight years, that's not a big deal. And when you know what to expect, um and what's happening what's actually happening in your body then it's also you, you it's like it's a, a bit of a a passage as it were that that your body needs to go through it's not fun but it's temporary
0: yes that's right and uh with with your club with your clientele do you normally say cut sugar and fruit when you're starting out or do you say just cut sugar for the time being how how do you kind of ease people in because Reason I'm asking is when I quit sugar the second time around, which was in March, uh, I just said, you know, I allow myself to eat fruit if I want to eat it and whatever quantity I want to eat it, and nuts, yeah. whatever else I want to eat, because I just want to get through these cravings.
1: Sure. Well, that I first of all, I don't t- tell people what to do, but I um highly encourage them to be mindful of, you know, to start somewhere, to start somewhere where. You know, it's better to start somewhere and be comfortable with it or it's slightly outside of your comfort zone. But for it to be sustainable enough for you to have the time to see how it's working for you than to follow some kind of arbitrary rules that, you know, you will rebel against. And believe me, I know what I'm talking about (laughs) because I have that type of personality of like, don't you tell me what to do. So choose something that you that's just outside of your comfort zone but that you can sustain for you know if only for two weeks so that you can see "Hmm, how am I feeling with or without fruit with the nuts with because some people even with the combination of let's say crunch and salt like nuts or Salt and and fat, like with cheese, totally healthy foods. But sometimes that combination, and even with fruit, the sweetness of fruit, some people it will trigger them. But they don't know it's going to trigger them until they've had the experience of having it trigger them, right? So I, you know, I like leave it up to them. I guide them so that they get the opportunity to see what does trigger them and sometimes it's a surprise
0: yeah it's um it's something that you definitely have to work through on your own and uh, i found that myself too i i recently cut out nuts i was just overcompensating with a lot of different things when i cut out sugar or fruit nuts yogurt you know and I, I i may cut back or abstain from yogurt at some point too because i feel like i i still use that as a crutch and in fact it's weird because I was gaining a lot of weight before. I quit sugar the second time around and then I quit and actually my weight is still going up because I keep overcompensating with these other things. That yeah. said I'm not going back to sugar. I just need to you know get the get the ratios right.
1: Yeah. And and that I hate to say it, that's also very common (laughs) as if you you weren't, you know, individual, but it is common. And, you know, sometimes when people cut sugar, they'll go to alcohol or vice versa. I've had lots of people who used to drink alcohol and when they stopped, they're like, I don't know, these sugar cravings, they're driving me crazy because, you know, alcohol is a type of sugar and that the body is craving what it's not used to getting Uh, and the same is true of as you know as you were saying of, of perfectly healthy foods nuts cheese yogurt we tend to overcompensate and i'll tell you why from my experience of helping so many people in this is that the root cause or the root behavior the need for that type of behavior that we had with sugar has not yet been addressed So we're concentrating on the food. But then what I help people with is to get look under the hood of what's driving that need or that behavior. And very often people don't want to go under the hood and look at like their, their behaviors or their emotional needs. But um, I'm afraid it's necessary. Mm, Yeah,
0: that, that makes a lot of sense. I definitely identify as an emotional eater. I don't know, do you Identify that way as well? Or? Oh,
1: yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know, I just figure that in the last eight years, and I've not been perfect. I don't eat sugar, but sometimes I, I've eaten chips when I was stressed. You know, salt and vinegar somehow gets me. I don't know. <laughs> Some other flavors just don't do it for me. And so I've had um, not binges. I I don't have binge um, behavior, but I have had triggers of when I've been stressed you know, COVID, for example, (laughs) and my husband got long COVID. So that was very stressful at home. And I found myself eating more chips more often than, even more often than I used to before I cut sugar. But it was like, I needed the crunch and the salt. Um, uh, And it was all emotional. And so even after all these years, I still get triggered. The only difference is that now I have a much more mindful way of getting back on track and much faster.
0: Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I think uh, I struggle with that. You know, I'll overeat due to emotions most likely. And then I struggle to get back on track because it's like, well, this day was ruined. And then you see the number on the scale. I'm a daily wear, which may also be part of the problem. And then I'm like, well, I just messed up yesterday. I might as well just mess up today too. And then you just go on this very bad path.
1: Yes, yes. um, um, That is what I call the diet culture, you know, or diet brain that you see in, in it called, because all these things we sort of take a fact and we spin it around, give it a coating of emotions, and then turn it back against ourselves to prove how bad of a person we are. And I think I blame the diet culture for kind of training us to do that. And so it's really difficult to step out of that. And not to go down this spiral of, oh, you know, I've done it now, I've taken that bite, or I've emptied out the bag, in my case, (laughs) the family-sized bag, I might as well just, you know, and then we give ourselves permission to go down that slippery slope, and we tell ourselves, you're no good, you don't have willpower, you're weak, you're this, you're that, whatever. And it's so easy to slip down that slope. But what I help people with is to kind of not only stop the slip from happening, but um, stop the trigger behavior from happening and go one step backwards before it ever happens.
0: Yeah, that's probably the right way to go about it. And and so just to go back to your example for a second, when you found yourself eating the bag of, of chips, how, how did you end up Because I know if I eat a lot of nuts, for example, it may also trigger off, you know, may also want, may also cause me to want to eat something sweet, which Mm -hmm. I won't do. I won't give in, but it does definitely generate those cravings. Do you have that? Did did that happen to you when you were eating the chips?
1: Uh, It didn't for me because my tastes have changed um, over all these years of not, really eating any sweet foods so it's not like a treat for me anymore i i actively dislike sweet tastes so it's not like i'm looking around for them i'm trying to avoid sweetness but it did make me go down like this spiral of i want more more of the same um and and as I say, because I've been coaching people about this for so long and living it myself for so long, I was able to, to sort of have a more objective vision of what was going on for me. And so of saying, okay, you're stressed, Netta. This is what's happening in your life. It's perfectly okay to be stressed. Okay, you wet all these chips, you know, because you've been stressed. Now I, you have stomach cramps or whatever, because my body's not used to crap in, my, in it, right? And to all the additives and the seed oils and God, goodness knows, there's no, no proper salt or vinegar or, you know, in these chips, right? And so my body tells me, I feel awful. And I've had so many years of feeling good, that just one day of feeling awful is one day too many. So it's like my And the opposite is true as well. When we keep feeding our body literally and figuratively, when we keep feeding it things that don't make us feel good on any level, psychological, emotional, physical, then the body gets used to feeling not very good, right? But when we actually have days and weeks and months behind us and even years of feeling good, okay, so we slip and one day we do something and we don't feel so good. But when our threshold for feeling good or not so good is such that we don't want to be there anymore. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does make sense. makes a lot of sense. Uh, One of the things that I find very interesting is, and I think it's true with any addiction, whether it's to alcohol or drugs or or sugar or food, whatever you have an issue with, or even if you're not addicted, but you're trying to actively reduce or eliminate these things from your diet. I feel like at the beginning of your, the time when you stop, it's the hardest part. And then the further away you get from that beginning stage, the easier it becomes.
1: It depends. It depends because, um, it's true that at the beginning, it's like, it's intense. Right. Um, But as time goes on, especially in the first year, you know, all these first time experiences come up. So you have the first time it's your birthday and you're sugar free or it's Christmas or whatever holidays or festivals that people observe. And so it's like the first time is always the hardest I've found. Or the weirdest, you know, when you're different from any, everyone else and you feel, oh, I don't fit in, I'm being judged. What do I say? This is all stuff that I teach, right? And, and then once you've got a, you've gone through it once and you don't have to be perfect, you know, but you've gone through the, the experience once, then you can learn from it. And then, you know, and then it builds on itself. And then I would say it gets easier because you have experience to build on. That makes sense. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I found it my own personal experience that it hasn't been terribly difficult once I got through the first two weeks or so, but, uh, I definitely have periods where cravings may get reactivated. In fact, I would love to get your opinion on this too. And maybe I'm sure you have stories like this from inside your, inside your club, but, uh, I went out to dinner with a friend and We ordered dessert and I ate like half the dessert. And I hadn't Mm -hmm. had sugar since March. And this was in June. Mm -hmm. And the next day I was just really craving sugar again. Like bad. Bad. And was your
1: fasting more difficult as well? Yes. Yeah. 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 It's it I can say it's not you, it's your insulin, as you probably know. (laughs) You know? And so and your brain, because your brain, your taste buds got that taste of sweetness your brain reacted, your insulin reacted and just set off. Yeah. This, this whole series of events. So your brain is like, I need more of this. You know, you, that dopamine part of your brain is like fired up now from that taste of sweetness, you know? And so for some of us, you seem to be in my gang (laughs) for some of us. This is what happens when we taste sweetness. So I can come along and say to you, you know, Lucy, don't eat sweetness ever again, right? Or I can come and say, what happened last time that you ate sweetness, right? Is it something that you would like to happen again? If not, you have the answer right there. It's not me telling you what to do, it's your own body. And then you're deciding, do I wanna do this again or not, right?
0: Yes, that's, that's correct. I mean, in in my case, I was just being, uh, I thought I was just being agreeable. And I also thought at that point that maybe somehow I was a a moderator. But after that experience, I realized, no, I'm not a moderator, not at all.
1: Well, that's wonderful to know. And you didn't do anything (laughs) wrong. You're not, you have some data that gave you some information, and then you can decide what to do with that data right? There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no judgment. This is what happened. And now you have that to go, you know, further along. You have that experience behind you.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I, uh, I won't really be doing that again. I, I have learned my lesson and the other thing too, and maybe you've witnessed this in your club as well, um, is the way that the food industry is organized, it can be so sneaky because they say something's a protein bar, but really it's just a candy bar yeah, under a different name.
1: (laughs) Totally, totally. Yeah, I say this about all kinds of things, kombucha, that's commercial kombucha, all kinds of things. They're very, very clever. They pay people millions of dollars to do the marketing, to design the labels, to make you think it's, yeah, it's a protein bar. I mean, you know, I often say, look, if you want protein, just eat a steak right? Or the plant-based equivalent, or there isn't a plant-based equivalent, but you know what I mean? Or, or it's like anything that is um, made in a, in a factory or, you know, has packaging that makes you, that says, that claims that it's something else, stay away. It's basically stay away. And I know this is difficult, but stay away from packaged foods that are made, engineered, by the processed food industry even and the more health claims there are on the packaging the farther away you need to stay
0: i agree yeah i uh i fell into that trap pretty easily i think which is how i ended up because when i abstained from sugar the first time when i was speaking to you i was off sugar completely and then i you know i started with the protein bars in my own mind i was Justifying it and say I'm not eating cake all day. I'm not eating candy bars. I'm eating Mm. a protein bar. It's a keto protein bar. Like this isn't sugar, but it's you really have to watch yourself because then of course the keto protein bar graduated to sugar again. Next thing you know, I'm eating cake again.
1: Yeah, yeah. So again, you know, no judgment, no fault of your own. Now you know, and you know I don't like to, you know, be be that cynical, but. I'm afraid I I thought keto was wonderful when it came along and it is wonderful, but it was commercialized. And that is when I think keto is, is committing commercial suicide as it were.
0: Well, and also you, you can almost make anything keto if you want to, because if you make a uh, a candy bar keto you just make it into a really 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 small piece and you're like hey look this is keto it has one carb in it it's like half a bite but that's keto right yeah. so like you just, but then whoever eats half of a bite of a candy bar no you wouldn't eat the whole thing like then that's yeah. not keto anymore
1: there's so many so-called keto whole foods which i just call food you know, that it's just not necessary to add bars and whatnot to the mix. And when people talk to me about the bars and the muffins and keto or not that they eat, I'm just wondering, like, what what are they, what are you using them for? Are they part of a meal or are they a snack? And if they're a snack, then if you're an intermittent faster, you, like, why are you snacking?
0: Yeah, it's, that's absolutely right and um the other thing i noticed too is the other trap i fell into which i assume you see all the time too is the um sugar alternatives like erythritol or you know monk fruit or allulose or all these other things and you're like oh i'm not eating sugar i'm eating one of these things yeah um which is another like gateway drug to just eating real sugar
1: and highly highly processed you know um, they may have nice names like monk fruit, but in no way, shape or form is it a fruit. And, you know, you could you could argue that sugar is, you know, sugar cane in its base form is a plant. But what it's what it's been done to it. There's two things. What it's been what has been done to it. Right. How far removed it is from the the, the basic natural food. So you could say that about monk fruit, for example, erythra. It's all highly processed sweeteners right? Processed by the food industry. That's the first thing. And the second thing is it's still a sweet taste. And on paper, it's true. All the erythritol and the monk fruit and the stevias of this world, you know, depending on which on, on which um, studies you've cherry picked, and <laughs> you want to, 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 you know, your bias towards, you can find all the proof that they will not cause a blood sugar spike and or an insulin response you can also find the opposite but over and above the the studies how do you as an individual react to them if they set you off if they set your brain off and fire up the dopamine center in your brain and you don't want them to do that don't eat them end of story
0: that's exactly the trap i fell into as a diabetic i was thinking oh well this cake, which was made with erythritol is it doesn't spike my blood sugar. In fact, I I can test that. And I know I don't need very much insulin for a piece of cake that's made with monk fruit. And I'm like, you know, I'm not eating sugar, but to your point, it does trigger off. It's that sweet taste. It, it, then I, I noticed soon after I started eating all of those cakes and things made with these artificial sugars that don't have an impact on blood sugar, then I was eating the real thing too
1: yeah Yeah. okay and that's how it you know that's how you react to it and so that again is important data for you to take into account and someone else may not have the same response as you and good for them
0: yeah and I like that part of your message where everybody's an individual and they can make their own decisions about it
1: (laughs) yeah and you know I don't throw people in the deep end and tell them you know (laughs) here's a bunch of information make your own make up your own mind I do guide them to to that but as you can see you know I didn't necessarily just coach you but you know what I mean you actually have the answer sometimes it just takes someone who's been there before you to make you see it
0: yes absolutely right and um one other thing I really wanted to talk to you about was and I I had Dr. Vera Tarman um on my podcast you've had her on your podcast yeah, she's, she's so great yeah yeah And and we were talking a little bit about what happens when you quit sugar, and then you take up sugar again, and then you try to quit again. How difficult it is to to quit again. I'm sure you see this time and time again in your group where people quit and then they come back. How do how do you how how does it go the second or third time around when people are trying to quit?
1: Usually, when when they have guidance from you know Vera or myself in in my After Sugar Club and my program. Um, usually, they are more aware of what's going on. They can get back on track faster. It, and they beat themselves up less and judge themselves less. I'm not saying they don't at all. But all that kind of negative spiral is shortened and it's not quite as intense when it happens it's just that the effects of this the slip or call it as you will are less intense than if they weren't getting any guidance at all does that make sense
0: yeah and I mean I guess I remember from when I quit before the feelings of the first few days couple weeks just Total, totally, just feeling like deprived, miserable. I know that that's going to go away at some point, so you can kind of push through it a little bit easier, I guess you could say, because you are you you're expecting it.
1: Yeah, I think when we concentrate on the food itself and everything we are losing, then yeah, we will feel deprived. But again, what I um what I sort of help people with is to reevaluate how they see their relationship with these types of foods, right? And so if you see it as a treat, because you've grown up, I mean, you know, we've all grown up with sweets being treats, right? I did a whole podcast episode about that. We've all grown up with this kind of relationship, this connection between sweetness and being a treat. Um, and when you when you change that, you're like, but I, I don't want to lose that connection. What you don't want to lose is the treat, Right. So I help people find other sources of treats that don't make them put on weight and give them inflammation and make their, that would make their craving, keep their cravings alive and make them, you know, feel bad about themselves. Right. Because really, how much of a treat is that?
0: Yeah. I, I agree. (laughs) I, and once you, once you kind of reprogram and, you know, your brain into, recognizing other things as rewards for things or other forms of self-care you you don't miss the sugar as much but in the beginning yeah it does feel like there's some deprivation going on
1: yes if at the beginning when you're not aware of those things which is also why I talk about them from the beginning then yes and and that feeling of deprivation can also make you fall off the wagon as it were right
0: I wonder about you because you were mandated from a medical perspective that you had to do this for two weeks and then you know I think you said you've said it on plenty of other podcasts that you were fully expecting to go back to your diet as soon as the two weeks were up right
1: yes yes and it wasn't <laughs> medical as such it was a nutritional therapist who oh, okay. I'm suggested sorry. Yeah. it to me I don't I don't know any doctor who would have asked me to do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would
0: have been a very been progressive surprising. doctor yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, but I wonder, do you think you would have gotten to this place had you not done that two week elimination diet?
1: No way. I wouldn't. I, I, you know, it changed my life. It changed my life. The suggestion to do it changed my life. But really what changed my life is my accepting doing it right. I, I because I fought against it and I resisted it and you can suggest all the good things to all the people but until someone actually says i'm going to give it a try and i'm going to actually go all in and listen to that person that knows what she's talking about until that person is willing to give it a go give it a try there's no change or transformation possible
0: yeah that's right uh yeah, this has been extremely helpful in you explaining your process and, and all of that stuff. But can you uh, just remind people where they can find you and we'll link it up in the show notes as well?
1: Yes, sure. Yes. I also have a podcast. It's called Life After Sugar. It's in the top 50 of of nutrition podcasts in the States. It's available on all major podcast players. It's also available on my website. My website is aftersugarclub.com. Lots of free resources there. Um, And I'm also on Facebook, Life After Sugar, Instagram at My Life After Sugar, on TikTok. I have a YouTube channel, Life After Sugar, all over the place.
0: Yeah, that's great. It's just such good work you're doing. And uh, when I went to go quit sugar the second time around, I've been listening to your podcast anyway. I think it's very interesting. I like your podcast, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, we're talking today. I actually really like it because I like to hear different people's perspectives about how they have quit sugar, and everybody has sort of a different approach, and as you kind of espouse in your program, like everybody has to do it their own way. So I I really like your podcast for that reason.
1: Thank you. Yes, it's very inspiring to hear all these different types of people with their own stories, you know, and their lives have been transformed. And and some of them haven't cut sugar completely. And some of them have and I have vegans all the way to 100% carnivore. And it's all good. All different types of ways of any, I say any reduction in sugar is a step in the right direction.
0: Absolutely. And uh, before we close, I want to ask you one last question. So you've been at this almost eight years. What is your What do you think is your secret?
1: I think my secret is that um, I just des- I feel that I deserve to feel good. So part of it is being in my fifties, <laughs> and that's you know very often when we start like having a bit of time to think about ourselves after we've raised our families but another part of it is that um, my tastes have changed and not just for my taste buds but for what I want to eat that has changed my definition of food has changed and so all the hundreds of thousands of products that are engineered by the food industry I don't see them as food anymore so it's not like I'm I don't feel I'm depriving myself of anything because it's not even food that whole connection that we were talking about between having fun treats and these types of foods including sugar and flour that has also been broken right so I just feel that like that I have the power and I, I have the control to decide how I relate to food and how I relate to non-foods as well.
0: That's beautiful. That really uh, sums it up nicely. Thank you so much for your time, Netta.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me back.
0: Of course. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please email me at with diabetes at gmail.com thanks so much have a great day